Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Before we jump into today's topic, I wanted to get you an email. came in uh, yesterday from our friend Steve in Beaverdam, Arizona. He says, listening to Radio Lab on UPR this morning, I learned much I hadn't known about Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. Holmes, a Civil War officer who fought for the Union, was inspired to the belief that real life, lived experience, not dry legal principle, underlies good uh, jurisprudence. His minority opinion in Abrams versus the United States that the U.S. government should not suppress freedom of speech came to be known as the Great Dissent and is foundational to America's Americans' free speech rights. Then this evening on Access Utah, I missed the morning broadcast, I learned much I hadn't known about Supreme Court Justice John Marshall Harlan. Like Holmes, Harlan was a Civil War officer who fought for the Union. Both were colonels. And like Holmes, Harlan believed that lived experience is the foundation of good jurisprudence. And if Holmes wrote The Great Dissent, it was Harlan who was the great dissenter. Sitting on a blinkered uh, Supreme Court, Harlan wrote many, many uh, lone dissents, including in Plessy v. Ferguson, that presaged the racial justice and equality of economic opportunity that we are still striving for today. The Great Dissent and the Great Dissenter, on the same day. That's why I listen to UPR. By the way, Holmes was appointed to the court years after Harlan, and Holmes also lived a longer life. Consequently, though the two sat on the court together, it was only for a relatively brief span of seven annual court sessions. And then as a postscript, Steve uh, puts a link to an event. Looks like a very uh, uh, fun event. Uh, two uh, historical impersonators uh, played Oliver Wendell Holmes and uh, John Marshall Harlan in an event. Uh, this happened in 2014, so... You uh, can't go, but uh, <laughs> it looks like a fun, uh, fun event in Oregon. Uh, so thanks for that, uh, Steve. Appreciate it. The Monarch and Other Winged Wonders Festival is happening uh, tomorrow in Nibley. We're going to preview that event on the program today. We're going to learn about monarch butterflies, bats, bees, fireflies, night pollinators, dragonflies, and birds. And we'll talk about the decline of some of these species and how we can help. And we'll discuss how being in nature can improve our health and well-being. And we welcome in uh, Becky Yeager with uh, Monarchs of Bridgeland. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Appreciate you uh, being with us. Uh, Rose Greer is also with Monarchs of Bridgeland. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. And Rachel Taylor is with Monarchs of the Wasatch Front. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Good morning to you. Shonda Wenger is in studio with us. She's an educator in Cache Valley and, and assists with the Monarch Preservation and all of these activities. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having us. Great. So let me start with Becky Yeager. Uh, first of all, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Uh, and then I want to hear about the, the festival. Well, okay. I'm a wildlife biologist by trade, I guess. Um, I've been involved in monarch conservation for a number of years. Um, do some other wildlife work as well. Uh, so, yeah. And then um, that's me. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's good. So, uh, wildlife biologist. Uh, so, obviously, you trained in this in school? I did. I have a master's in biology. I've, I've kind of switched gears for a little bit and ran another business and coming back to wildlife work, but I've always been involved in monarch conservation. Yeah. Oh, maybe here at the beginning, we'll we'll do this several times through the program. Maybe give us a brief outline of the festival and uh, uh, encourage people to come uh, tomorrow. 
Yeah, so it's tomorrow. It's from 4 to 9, and it's at Heritage Park in Nibley. Um, it's going to be spectacular. We have a couple of bands. We've got food trucks, and we have a lot of booths, craft activities. Uh, so come on out and join us. If you stay until 9, it's lights out, and you can walk around Firefly Park, which is adjacent to Heritage, and view the fireflies. Yeah, that sounds like a great uh, great opportunity. Um and I'm reading here, let's see, dusk, it's lights out, so we see the magic of the fireflies. Red cellophane provided to cover up the flashlights, not inter- so as to not interfere with the fireflies. That's correct. They have a, a very small breeding season, and it's really important that we preserve this natural population at Firefly. And they're very sensitive to light. It disrupts their breeding. And so the neighborhood around Firefly is very good about putting their lights down and, and not broadcasting them over the park, and so we just really protect the the nightlight. Uh, we diminish the nightlight so that we um, don't disturb them. So the cellophane helps us do that. If you have uh, cell phones or flashlights, you can put the cellophane over them. All right. Uh, so, Rose Greer, uh, tell me a little bit more about your background. Hi. So, I actually grew up here in Cache Valley. I uh, was raising monarchs from an early age, and then I moved to Texas after college from USU. And I actually was one of those early travelers down to Mexico to see where the monarchs migrate to back before back before ecotourism. Um, it made this crazy adventure down to see where the monarchs were going, because when I was a kid growing up here, they told us that the monarchs were going somewhere, but nobody really knew where at that time. So... Um, Monarchs have just always been a part of my life. Um, I'm more of the citizen scientist, more of the uber geek on the monarch side of the house. But, yeah, that's my background. All right. Well, I'll follow up with a few of those things as we go along. Uh, Rachel Taylor, tell us a little bit more about your background. Hi there. I'm more like uh, Rose in that I grew up in, you know, rural Utah and come by this really as a you know, as a volunteer and as a passion of mine. I grew up in Utah County when it was just wide open fields and we had tons of monarchs. And uh, just six or eight years ago, start get started getting involved and seeing if I could attract them and uh, have really helped bring some attention to the monarchs here in the Wasatch Front area. So mine is uh, just a, a volunteer passion, but we're knee-deep into it. All right, that sounds good. And um, Shonda Wenger here in the studio, give me a little bit more about your background. You're an educator, right? Yes, I'm an educator, and I'm a biologist by training. And I actually met Becky uh, years ago when I first moved to Utah um, through our work. And I learned about the monarchs through Becky after, you know, years later uh, when she was involved with uh, bringing them into her home and uh, helping raise them and then release them so that they had a... Um, to help their population. And as I became an educator, I saw the opportunities to start bringing the monarchs into my classroom. So Becky taught me how to uh, bring the larvae in, into enclosures, and um, raise them inside, and then release them. And then I saw the opportunities to share that with my students in the classroom. Let me follow up immediately with with you. Um, So... Uh, was the attraction bringing it into classroom? I guess it's it's always better to show than tell. Is that the... Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. When you can bring um, uh, anything into the classroom and give the students like a real life exp- uh, exposure to it, and 
you know, from elementary school, they start learning about the metamorphosis cycle of um, insects. And so they have them be able to see that up close and see that transformation is just so exciting to them. And then when they get to release it, um, you know, when the butterflies, when they're ready to fly, um, I had the opportunity to do that with uh, a local elementary school here um, a couple of years ago. And it was just so exciting. Kids love it. So, so the kids uh, can they can be there for the whole life cycle, right? And then yeah. and then be there to I guess yep. r- release the butterfly into the and wish it well on its journey. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and with the understanding that uh, the butterfly is going to go somewhere, right? They're going to go. Yeah. So our population, Becky can speak more to this. Is I, my understanding is they move to California, and then some of them also move down into uh, Central Mexico. Yeah. Uh, so Rose, you said you were. You raised monarchs at a young age, and you were curious to, you, you knew they went somewhere, but you, you actually traveled to see where they went. I did, yes. Yeah. So when I, was, when I was growing up, I grew up in Hiram, and of course we had, at that time, you know, in our valley, all of our ditches ran with water, right? And so we had a really abundant supply of monarchs when I was growing up. So it was just something that we waited for every summer. There wasn't a lot of information about what the monarchs were doing. At that time, we didn't even know that we had a unique population that was on the western side of the Rockies. So all of my childhood experiences were just these, you know, really fascinating adventures out into the pastures to go looking for monarchs for when they would arrive. Um, My mom, when I was little, she used to send us out at night with flashlights to go looking for monarchs. It was just, you know, just a really big adventure. And then um, after I graduated from college and I went down to Texas, Mexico made their first national preserve, and I went, oh, this is my opportunity. I'm in Texas. I had friends who I worked with who lived in Mexico City, and they agreed to go um, take me and another friend, and we just made this adventure to go down to Angangueo to go see one of the overwintering grounds in Mexico. So it was just a really phenomenal experience to see thousands and thousands of monarchs hanging on trees and fluttering, and it's just it's a very surreal experience. So I, I guess if you didn't have a preserve, uh, these butterflies would just be in what somebody's field, or I guess it's trees where they where they go. But I guess the preserve's important. Correct. Yeah. So, and I think uh, Rachel could probably speak more to that. But we do now have preserves down in Mexico that they're working on to preserve the forest where the monarchs are migrating to, and that's also what we're working on in California and the coastlands as well. Our western coast is to try and. Um, protect and preserve those areas where the monarchs are going to migrate to and stay and overwinter. So just tell me a little bit more about what you saw there. That's thousands and thousands of monarchs. Uh, oh, it must yeah, be a beautiful it's, sight. Um, it's, a, it's kind of, um, you, know, it's, it, you know, if anybody's been to the West Coast where you've seen the redwoods, it's a similar experience when you're in Mexico. Um, but you, um, we found, you know, our little town. We had to find a 4 by 4 you know, Bronco, actually, that had Arizona plates that took us up this mountainside, you know. And um, you had a guide. We had hired a guide. He was 80 years old, and he took us up the mountain. He only spoke Spanish, but, of course, <laughs> we had our friend with us who spoke Spanish, so it made it easier for us. But he, you know, just told us stories as we were hiking literally up this mountainside to go to a preserve that was on the very top of the mountain, that they had kind of roped off. And then when you got up there, they had you wait outside. But they also asked you to be quiet and to be um, respectful of the area that you were in. So there wasn't a talking. It was just very quiet. And you're up there in these beautiful forests with 
you can hear, it's so quiet because everybody's being so respectful. You can actually hear the butterflies as they're fluttering around, and there's so many of them that you don't even know that you're seeing them. They're covered on the trees, and you're looking at a tree, you know, literally the body of a tree, and not realizing that you're looking at thousands of monarchs that are all lined up together on the, the body of the tree, and then you're looking up in the branches and think, oh, the leaves are so pretty, and you're really looking at just clusters of monarchs together, and then when the temperature changes, they will move all together, and so you get this large flurry of just thousands of monarchs moving as the temperature changes. And it's just one of those experiences that as a kid, you're thinking, this is so cool, I'm raising and releasing monarchs, but then you go to something like that, and you think to yourself, I have to do more. I have to be more a part of this. I need to get reinvolved in life, and helping with something as simple as a monarch, it just it kind of is one of those life changers. Uh, Becky Yeager, I uh, understand uh, there's declining populations among monarchs. There, there is declining populations. The uh, numbers in California along the coast in their wintering areas was less than 2,000. Um, so that's that's shocking. The, as quickly as they've declined, we're just trying to figure out what the impacts are, why they're declining. Is it loss of uh, wintering areas, habitat? pesticide use, lack of milkweed, lack of pollinator plants, and we, we feel like we're kind of getting a handle on it, but we need to bring them back. They're on the brink of extinction right now. Brink of extinction. Uh, so what can help? What, what can we do? Well, I, I think the big push has always been plant milkweed, um, but there's other things we can do. In Cache Valley, we actually have a lot of native milkweed but we want to plant pollinator plants in our gardens and a diversity of pollinator plants so that we have early blooming plants, late blooming plants. They need to nectar up before they uh, make their migration. Um, reduce your pesticide use. That's really important. They're very sensitive to pesticides, and we, have, we just have a society that loves our, our chemicals. So reduce your pesticide use, I think, is a huge, huge thing that we can do to um, reduce impacts. Uh, so, Rachel, uh, you said you, at a certain point, you um, you thought, well, what can I do to attract monarchs? What, what, what do you do? What can yeah. you do? Well, you know, I, I jumped in, and strangely enough, it was like the wrong time of year, but I jumped on eBay and ordered some seeds, and, and you know, you go from one thing to the next, and the project started growing, and I, uh, I was growing... Um, some native milkweed in my garden and started attracting lots of monarchs and built built out what we call a monarch way station, which includes, you know, the milkweed um, nectar sources for butterflies, bees, and, and hummingbirds, um, and then a little bit of a water source and really got quite successful at it and um, have expanded that effort and helping other people do the same, and I'm actually to the point now where I have the Utah State Prison growing milkweed. You know, we have about 15 native species of milkweed in Utah, and people don't realize, you know, they think of it as the most common one we see along the ditch banks, but there are some very cool species that you can plant. Um, and so it, it, at the prison, we're growing those as well as native wildflowers that we gathered seeds from and to help city, county, parks, uh, you know, add some of this back to their uh, facility so that, you know, we can bring the habitat back. You know, we've got big fragmented 
habitat where they used to travel, um, I think that's also one of the issues, is they have to go a long way between where their breeding habitat is because we've developed all the open space. And so really just getting people to put a little bit in their yards and to have a, you know, city parks have an area that's natural and native and, and pollinator-friendly um, but that's kind of the evolution of mine. Just started in the backyard and, and growing plants in my dining room, and then kind of outgrew myself and ended up partnering with the prison. Do, are the inmates involved? Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They have the. Uh, in fact, they have eleven nurseries at the current site that they're now transitioning to the new prison site, um, and they picked up and, and have run with this as a native species nursery and really have taken hold of this and they don't use pesticides in their growth and um, you know they use it as a training for others for other inmates to have some kind of uh, career when they get out you know they'll be used to working in in nurseries and gardening and, and that kind of background so it helps them and it helps us that that we can also share those plants with in fact I've got a bunch of them I'm got with three different cities here in the Salt Lake Valley that are going to use them in their parks this next week well, that must be beneficial, uh, good health benefits for the for the inmates, for example. Good health benefits for us all to get out into nature, to, to do something good. But uh, you know, for the for the inmates specifically, absolutely. And I don't know if you are familiar with uh, Nalini Nadkarni, and she's a PhD uh, professor, biology professor at the University of Utah, kind of a rock star, actually. Um, they have a Barbie that they made in her likeness. She she studies tree canopies, <laughs> but she ha- she has quite a program working with prison systems throughout the nation, and has been has been published with a, a study where she had inmates that got one hour a day with a TV screen with nature kind of things showing on it versus those who didn't, and it tends to take down the aggressiveness. Um, issues, but, and I'm not doing it justice. You, you could look that up, but she is amazing, and she is one of the ones that I've worked with that got me connected with the prison to uh, part, you know, partner with these guys on this, as well as the youth prison, the Decker Lake Youth Facility with young men. So they've been growing them in their nursery for us as well. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Uh, you know, what, what an interest in a butterfly can do, right, to take you in a lot of different right. directions. Um well, before we go to a break, we're due for a break here. Uh, Becky, tell us a little bit more about the festival and uh, how people can get connected. Oh, I would love to. So they can just come on out to Heritage Park, and um, let me tell you about some of the booths that we'll have. Stokes Nature Center will be there, and they're going to focus on fireflies. So you can learn about the fireflies, their life history, you know, when the, when is the best time to view them, what are the impacts. Berryman Institute will be there um, talking about bats because that's a winged wonder, um, but a cool animal. Uh, Monarchs of Bridgeland, of course, and then we'll have Wild Utah Project. Joe Wilson will be there talking about bees. Um, Bridgeland will be there with birds and um, just a lot of stuff, Native Plant Society and the Bug Lab. So there's a lot of hands-on activities at each booth as well. Lots to learn and lots to do. All right, so that's Heritage Park in Nibley. And then uh, the, the Firefly Park is right next door, right? So uh, at, is, yeah. at dusk, you can see the fireflies. Um, and Utah Public Radio, I'll mention here, will, is sponsoring a story-gathering booth out at the festival tomorrow for anyone interested in sharing stories about viewing, protecting, and enjoying monarchs and other winged wonders. 
And your stories will be recorded for possible use during UPR's Wild About Utah program. So definitely come out and uh, come over to our booth and record your story. Um, so we'll take a break. We'll come back uh, with more on Monarch and Other Winged Wonders Festival happening tomorrow, previewing today. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Stokes Nature Center Canyon Jams, presenting David Birchfield and the Fire Guild, June 25th at 7 p.m., located at Von Bear Park in Providence. Information at loganature.org slash canyonjams. And Silicon Slopes Magazine, a hub of Utah startups, business, and tech, contributing articles and insights from the Utah community. Information on advertising in print and digital versions at siliconslopesmagazine.com. Every week, Undiscipline brings you conversations about fascinating new scientific research and the people who bring it to life. I'm Shoshana Buxbaum, and I'm excited to be taking the reins as the show's new host. You might recognize my voice from Utah Public Radio's newscasts or my Project Resilience special about people with disabilities. Join me every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. on Utah Public Radio to learn about how researchers are working to make sense of the world around us. This is Carrie Bringhurst. We've been getting together in the mornings for quite a few years now. How about we mix things up a bit, and instead of meeting early in the day, we meet up in person where the locals eat for an evening meal. UPR's benefit dinner is back. That means we can meet and greet each other at a Logan restaurant the evening of Wednesday, June 23rd. And a portion of your meal purchase will support your favorite public radio station, Utah Public Radio. Details about times and location on our website, upr.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're previewing today the Monarch and Other Winged Wonders Festival, which is happening tomorrow in Nibley. And we're talking about monarch butterflies. Uh, also going to be talking a bit about bats and bees, fireflies, night pollinators, dragonflies, and birds. All of those will be covered at the festival and we've been talking about the decline in the monarch uh, butterfly and what we can do about it. We're going to be discussing about how we, uh, being in nature and helping, uh, can improve our health and uh, well-being. And we're talking with Becky Yeager and Rose Greer with Monarchs of Bridgeland, Rachel Taylor of Monarchs of Wasatch Front, and Shonda Wenger, an educator in Cache Valley, who helps with uh, monarch preservation. Um, and you can uh, join us here by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Uh, so, Becky Yeager, I understand this festival was uh, rescheduled from last year for obvious reasons. It was. So, originally, we would hold it at the Gardner's Market as just a small booth. And then we thought, let's go bigger. So, we decided to move it out to Heritage Park and, and invite a few bands and food trucks and a lot of different uh, community organizations. Um, but, yeah, 2020 was not good for us. <laughs> we had it all planned out, and we had to cancel. So we're very, very happy that we can host it this year. So uh, Monarch Preservation, these efforts, Monarchs, I guess this likely went on during COVID, right? It's an outside kind of a thing, right? And uh, you can do it safely. Yeah. We did. We we weren't able to host a, a many events, of course. We usually attend different uh, functions in the Valley, but we did. We were able to do some online stuff. We had a webinar where we featured fireflies and bees and, and monarchs, but uh, we were quite limited last year. But the monarchs still come, came to Cache Valley. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you each the same question. I'll start with Shonda here in, in, uh, in studio. 
Uh, you talked about the attraction for your students. What about you? What's uh, what is it about monarchs and other winged wonders? With uh... um, for me, I I just well for one thing they're beautiful and to see you know birds or monarchs um, flying across a meadow or even in your yard. I remember last year, um, last spring or last summer, the first monarch I saw. I was so excited. I had to like run out and just watch and see where it went. Um, so to me, it's just beautiful. And then it also just kind of reminds us of you know, the connections that we have um, to these living organisms in the environment. Like what happens to them is also kind of a reflection of what's happening in our world. And so for me, I'm drawn to that. I think, you know, doing what we can to conserve, to conserve them and protect their population is so important because what we do for others is also, you know, what we want to do for ourselves and our community and where we live. Um, so that's what draws me to them. Yeah. By the way, you're an educator. Um, what what grade? Um, I'm a high school educator. Okay, and, high school. And um, the first time I brought monarchs into my classroom, um, I had a student that had moved recently from Mexico, and he was learning to speak English. He had limited um, communication at that point, but he, he, he knew a little bit. But he was immediately drawn to the caterpillars that I had. And as I got to talk with him, he was from um, the area in Mexico where the monarchs migrate to. And he's like, we have a festival where I'm from. And it's just, you know, they're beautiful. And he loved, he knew the monarchs, you know, for the butterfly. And he had never seen the caterpillar um, form, like up close. And so he was immediately drawn to it. And over uh, the next three years, he wound up researching the butterfly and the caterpillar and um, turning it into like a personal um, science project and interest. That's, yeah, that's interesting. If if you live near the destination point, you you wouldn't know the caterpillar, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And so yeah. he was like, I've never seen this. And he was so excited. And it was just, it was an amazing just to kind of make that connection and then see, you know, where this migration pattern just kind of, you know, it connects across boundaries and borders and everything like that. They're yeah. in different cultures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what I wanted to uh, to find out of the stereotype, and you can correct this if it's wrong, the stereotype is that, uh, you know, kids these days, that phrase, you know, makes me sound ancient, but kids these days, uh, you know, they're, they're under their devices and they're inside and <laughs> they don't want to be outside and with nature. I don't know. It, stereotypes are usually wrong because it's individual people, right? But I don't know. Is, is that the trend, do you think, or, or not? Um, I think that may have been the trend, you know, when, the, when technology was first come out and it's like attraction, right? Everyone wants to have uh, the latest gizmo. But now technology, I see it as, a, in a way, bringing citizens and kids back outside because you can get apps for like bird calls. And so if you're going outside on a nature walk and you hear a bird, you can use that app to figure out what bird that is. So even if you can't see the bird, if you're hearing it, you can identify the species. There's also apps where if you're looking at a plant, you can take a picture of the plant and it'll tell you what species of flower that is. And so I think like in a way, technology is helping kids and citizens um, connect more to their environment and learn about it quicker, like on, you know, on the go as they're out there, they can, they can find out what's going on around them. Yeah. Uh, let me turn to Rachel next. Um, same question. What, what is it about 
Monarch butterflies and other winged wonders that, that draws you in? You know, I think for me, growing up in Lehigh when it was tiny, and that's just south of Salt Lake, point of the mountain area, um, it, it just reminds me of happy childhood, wild, wide open space, and, and life was good. And I have always been connected to all sorts of critters. And, and then to become aware as an adult, you know, especially in the last decade, that, gosh, we don't see very many of them anymore. And I think once I realized that and started researching it um, and then attracting them and learning about the decline, I mean, it's, uh, there's a reason we're not seeing them now, and there's a reason maybe young kids don't see them a lot right now is because, just for example, we've gone, you know, we started tracking numbers of monarchs, we meaning all organizations, uh, since the 80s. And we have declined 99% in numbers west of the Rockies since the 80s. And it's not uh, not far off from that, closer to 90% east of the Rockies, where the majority of them are. So it's a significant drop. Um, you know, Rose talked about going to Mexico and, and seeing them, and, and literally there, there used to be 45 acres covered with monarchs that were just hanging on branches of these pine trees in central Mexico. There were 12 sites there. Um, and those numbers are down to, you know, six acres. It's just uh, learning, I think, you know, having that childhood passion for them and then learning the dire straits that they are in now and that a monarch who could, you know, make it to Toronto or to Washington State or Idaho or Utah that may travel all the way to central Mexico to overwinter, hang out for a couple of months without eating and then have to come back and find milkweed to lay eggs. I mean, it's just a remarkable creature. You just look at this beautiful little thing that weighs less than a paper clip and think that it's gone 2,500 miles to, just to survive. Uh, it's, it's just, again, it's coming, it brings out the six-year-old in me. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, so tell us again what, what folks can do uh, to help, the kinds of things that uh, people can do. Well, like Becky said, I mean, I, I, I guess you're asking me, but I. Um, so mainly, we need to restore their breeding habitat, and what that is would be, you know, any native species of milkweed, along with great pollinator flowers. So native flowers, you know, the open-faced. I mean, they love things like rabbit brush and and uh, you know daisies, sunflowers, anything, but again, like she said, it, it needs to span the season. The adult monarch feeds on nectar, like, like a bee or a hummingbird would, but the, the caterpillar has to have milkweed. It is the single only plant that that caterpillar can eat, and so if there's no milkweed, there's no monarchs, and so really we need milkweed and flowers for both adult and caterpillar. They need to have no pesticides. They need to have some kind of water. So even if you put a, a little fountain or a water a butterfly dish out in your garden and keep a little water bowl in it with some pebbles, um, and then, you know, just protection in the shrubs around your house, you, you can attract them. And that's, that's what we need to do is bring back this habitat, bring it, bring it back so that they can follow that path, you know, from the California coast all the way to Utah or from the central Mexican mountains at 11,000 feet, you know, all the way to Toronto, Canada. Uh, they just need that breeding habitat restored and, and for us not to kill them off with things. 
You said earlier that 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 path, right, that habitat path is is getting more fragmented. So, um, you know, just a, someone's backyard, I guess, could help restore part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I get them, and I'm sure Beck, all the girls in Cache Valley do as well. You know, you can attract them. You can attract I've seen Monarch lay eggs on milkweed that was less than two inches tall. Hmm. They, I mean, they're, they're, you, you can attract them to your yards with the flowers and and build in some milkweed with it. Um, there are different species that of the milkweed that don't spread quite as much, like swamp milkweed is Asclepius incarnata, but it's a beautiful plant. You, it, it's not as drought tolerant, but there are things that you can add to your garden. Um, there's another one that's a butterfly weed that's bright orange flowers, very, very hot and sun tolerant. Um, so there are things you can do, and I'm seeing landscapers use them now in commercial buildings, um, like the Marmalade Library in Salt Lake City has landscaped with that butterfly weed that's got the orange flower all around the building. So there, you know, people are taking notice, and it's surprising how it, this butterfly connects with people. Um, people are really starting to help build it back, and we just need more of that. Rose, I'll ask you the same question. What is it about uh, monarch butterflies and other winged wonders draws you in? Well, you know, it goes back to my early childhood and, you know, growing up in Hiram and all of the kids, everybody was raising and releasing monarchs. And we were all being taught, you know, how to raise and release them from our parents or our grandparents or our siblings. And so it was the childhood part of it, but then it was also this very unique heritage that we have here in our valley of raising and releasing. And when I went to Austin um, and I went to see the monarchs and then I came back, that's when I started actually focusing on building monarch habitat, butterfly gardens. And when I moved back here to the valley, um, I took the master gardener class and really started <laughs> infiltrating the native plant workshop with asking them to include the showy milkweed into the set of plants that we could offer to people through the native plant workshop. and. So I think just that early passion, and then when you start to understand that you can create your own habitat and be a part of the solution, that just adds to your adult experience. It brings forward those childhood experiences because the first time, you know, when you are when you see, you know, an, a monarchy close, it just takes you right back to those early days tromping around in a pasture looking for monarchs. Um, and then, of course, working with the monarchs of Bridgeland and just trying to spread the message here about it has been really wonderful to hear everyone's stories, which is why when Becky and I originally started working with the festival and people would come and talk to us and share their stories, and as I taught in the high schools about monarch conservation, you would just hear these really great stories, not only from older people who would come and talk to us, but from high school students who would share that someone in their family had taught them, a grandparent or a parent, and then that's how, you know, with Becky and I, when we were talking about all these stories that were being shared, that, you know, Becky had come up with this idea of engaging UPR to see if we could have you guys record these stories, because it's it's something that we're concerned about, that we're going to lose these fabulous heritage stories that are unique to Cache Valley, because we were doing this for such a long time growing up. And now we're finding that because the monarchs decline, we just don't see it as much anymore, and the opportunities are not there to raise and release. And... Mostly for us, we're really, as you know, for monarchs of Bridgeland, we're really looking at the conservation and the protection because now we know better about raising and releasing and really just looking at how to protect the monarch versus trying to engage with it. And we don't want it in, 
we don't want to infect it or cause any other issues as humans um, by working with the monarch and, and doing what we used to do. But, you know, we're it's just such great old stories of here in the valley and all of that just kind of comes full circle as an adult to try and help and protect and re-engage. But, you know, provide those experiences to our youth that those of us who are older remember them and we're just not getting to have those same experiences with the young people that we're raising now. I want to follow up on something you said, Rose. Uh, you said you described yourself as a citizen scientist, and uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's become more of a thing, um, in part because of the technology that Shonda was talking about, right? Uh, that uh, you can, you know, any of us can go out and participate in, in science. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, citizen science, actually that comes from Fred Urquhart, who originally started the the monarch exploration, trying to understand out of Canada where the monarch was going. And he was the one who actually engaged everyone to try and find where the monarchs were going. And he came up with the terminology of citizen science. And so um, that is just something if you're engaged with the monarchs and you're raising and releasing or trying to understand habitat and working with them, you kind of adopt that because you may not be a scientist, you may not have that as your background, but the more you work and um, start to understand how to work with conservation for the monarchs, you you really do become that citizen scientist and you hold that banner really high because you're very proud of the things that um, that you're working with, but also the excitement of getting other people involved and trying to share that kind of energy and we can do this. We could we can make a difference for something like the monarch, especially because they're a telltale marker of our environment. If if they're not doing well, that migration route, if it's not doing well, we're seeing other insects and critters, as I like how Rachel said critter, um, how they're not doing well. So it's you know, if we are all engaged and we're all working together, there's just a really neat community of citizen science out citizen scientists out there. So, Becky, I'll ask you the same question. What What is it about the monarch, uh, another winged wonders, that draws you? And you, you trained in, uh, you know, wildlife biology, a lot of different species out there. What What is it about the monarch? Well, you know, I think they they touched on every little aspect. Um, yeah. So, I, I think for me, when I first started getting involved in monarch conservation, I had little girls, and so for me, it was the fascination and being able to take them out in the garden and find the eggs and the caterpillars and teach them the life history of, of monarchs. You know, you go from this little tiny, tiny egg that we could search for and look at with a hand lens that would hatch in front of our eyes into a caterpillar, and then we would watch it grow and go through its different instars as it grew, and then all of a sudden it would move into a chrysalis. We'd watch that process, and then we could watch it come out of the chrysalis into this magnificent butterfly, caterpillar to butterfly, a totally different looking creature. And then we could watch it fly away. We could, we we were also involved in the tagging process. So we would tag them and then watch them fly away. And for me, that, that was pretty cool to raise my girls with that, um, you know, that, that opportunity. And um, so for me, that's important. And that's what I enjoy about monarchs and what fascinates me. Uh, so under the heading of what we can do, um, you know, we, we talked about uh, citizen science. I uh, understand that uh, you can help track. I don't know if you know anything about this, uh, Becky. Yeah. Uh, right. I, we, we all work with uh, Southwest Monarch Study, and so that's out of Arizona, but they serve the West, 
they provide us tags. And so in the fall, we'll put a little small tiny tag on them. We can record the number and put it into a database and so that if they're spotted as they move south, they can determine, like, where they're going. And uh, it, that's something that we do do up here. And we, we do that together and we do some other things. We, we test them for a protozoan parasite before we release them as well. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Shonda, I think you've been involved in this yeah. tagging project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my students got involved when we had the caterpillars in the classroom, and we would tag them before we released them. Um, one student was looking at um, different things that were affecting the caterpillars, um, whether it was the protozoan. He actually found that there was a fungus that was also affecting the caterpillar that hadn't really um, been documented. It had been documented in other insects like ants and whatnot. And there's a, you know, a couple famous <laughs> videos online that you can go and see the fungus growing out of the head. But he actually um, was able to capture pictures of this with um, some microscope cameras that we had in the classroom. Um, and so that was, you know, him being the citizen scientist. And then the kids were also um, interested when we released the butter the butterflies if any of those tags were found. Um, and then uh, there are, you know, lots of people in the West that are aware of the monarchs and the tagging. And so when they go out, they'll look, if they see a butterfly, if they have binoculars, they can look and see if there's a tag. And um, Becky might remember or speak to it. There was a butterfly from Cache Valley that whose tag was cited um, in one or two places. Yeah, we, we I had one that was cited in Hebrew. So we think that it was headed to Mexico, <clears throat> and then one that was in Ogden last year. Yeah, so it's a proof of the, that's your own personal butterfly kind of yeah. that you've tagged, yeah. And then also it's yeah, showing yeah. that the citizens are involved because they're out finding the butterflies and seeing them, um, and so it's a way to document their migration and where they're going. Um, so I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, let's take another break, and we'll come back. We'll have a brief uh, last segment uh, with our guests. We're talking with Becky Yeager and Rose Greer with Monarchs of Bridgeland, uh, Rachel Taylor with Monarchs of the Wasatch Front, and Shonda Wenger, an educator in Cache Valley Cups with uh, Monarchs. And we're previewing the Monarch and Other Winged Wonders Festival. It's happening tomorrow in Nibley. Uh, so before we go to break, Becky, uh, t tell us again the details about the festival. Okay, it's at Heritage Park tomorrow from 4 till dusk. So it's lights out at dusk so we can view the fireflies. We're going to have food trucks, Gonzalez barbecue, sip and slice, um, <clears throat> and also some bands, Highline Drifters, uh, Wild Wings, and uh, Xavier Hay and the Dead Man's Band. Okay. And uh, UPR will be uh, at a uh, story booth uh, there at the festival. We'll be uh, recording your stories about monarchs and other winged wonders for possible use during UPR's Wild About Utah program. Uh, we'll have uh, this break and come back with our last segment. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau, featuring community concerts in Logan's Tabernacle Monday to Friday and celebrating 53 years at the Kane Lyric Theater and 28 years at Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. More information available online at explorelogan.com. I'm Senator Dan McKay. I want you to join us for both sides of the aisle from KCPW here 
on Utah Public Radio. A weekly debate over politics, policy, and current issues where I give the truth, Shireen says something, and Natalie tries to moderate the middle. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing you, the residents of the state. Don't miss the conversation. Tune in Thursday mornings, 10 o'clock, here at Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We are previewing the Monarch and Other Winged Wonders Festival. That's happening tomorrow in Nibley. And uh, UPR will have a story booth there. Collect your stories about monarchs and other winged wonders. We're talking with Becky Yeager and Rose Greer from Monarchs of Bridgeland, Rachel Taylor with Monarchs of the Wasatch Front, and Shonda Wenger, who is an educator in uh, Cache Valley. And uh, just have oh, about four or five minutes left in the program because at the end here on Wednesdays we have Beehive Archive. So uh, it's just time enough to maybe for a, one minute for, for each of you. I'll start uh, with uh, Shonda Wenger here in studio. Um, what would you say here? What would you most like listeners to take away from this discussion about monarchs? Um, as an educator, um, I think it's most interesting, like, looking at the connections, like if you can, how much can you learn about monarchs and what can you do to become involved and what can you teach your your children or your neighbors or your friends um, about monarchs? And then, you know, as far as the other winged wonders, what are the connections there? Um, what kind of habitats are they using? What can you plant in your yard to kind of add and contribute to that habitat? Um, what can you do? What can you avoid as far as reducing um, pesticides use or insect sprays or whatnot that may affect the caterpillars when they're here particularly? Um, and so I am most interested in like the connections from one insect to another, to a bird, to the bats, to um, the plants and habitats there they're going to and depend on um, the water sources that are important as well. And here we are in a drought, which this year, that may be another um, factor that contributes to making it a little bit harder on them. So, Very good. Um, let me turn to uh, Rachel with um, the Monarchs of the Wasatch Front. Uh, so just 30 seconds, so uh, uh, how can people contact Monarchs of the Wasatch you know, Front get I, more information? Yeah, we are, we're a Facebook group. Uh, so look for the group Monarchs of the Wasatch Front. Um, we have people that share tip. We share plants. We share uh, sightings. We share information, tips, how to get involved. So join us and jump in with both feet, and uh, the, the Monarchs need your help. Okay. Uh, so look on Facebook for Monarchs of the Wasatch Front. Great. Excellent. Absolutely. Uh, Rose Greer, uh, so Monarchs of Bridgeland, uh, same thing, Facebook, best place? Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook, Monarchs of Bridgeland. You can do a search for us there. And also for the festival, if you do a search on Facebook for the Monarchs and Other Winged Wonders Festival, you'll find our page there and all of the fun media that we're doing to advertise all the really great booths, sponsors, the food trucks, even, you know, Malo Mama is going to be there with the desserts. And there's just a lot of great educational events. So if you have questions about monarchs and how to get involved, please come to the event. We'll be happy to educate you. And even if you want to start tagging monarchs, this is a great opportunity for us to engage with you and, and help you learn how. Great. People can get involved. And uh, Becky Yeager, uh, before we uh, give details on the, uh, the this upcoming festival, uh, I know there are ongoing uh, events. So best contact point is that Facebook page, is it? Yes, that's right. Just jump on the Facebook page, join it, and uh, everything goes on there. 
And so one last time, tell us about the Monarch and Other Winged Wonders Festival. Okay, it's tomorrow night at Heritage Park in Nibley. It starts at 4. It'll go till 9 at dusk. Uh, there'll be food, food trucks, uh, bands, lots of booths um, to provide information. There's going to be a photo area where you can come in and take pictures. We have a gigantic monarch caterpillar you can stick your face through and get your picture taken, <laughs> dress-up area, lots of fun things. Um, we also will have the Logan City Poet Laureate, which we didn't mention. Shannon Ballum will be doing a walk around the park, and you can write poetry with her. So just so many fun things. you just got to come out. And UPR will have a story booth there, so you can record your story about monarchs or other winged wonders for possible use during UPR's Wild About Utah program. Well, we've uh, been talking with uh, Becky Yeager from Monarchs of Bridgeland. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Uh, Rose Greer, also from Monarchs of Bridgeland. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, we'll see everybody tomorrow night. Uh, Rachel Taylor, Monarchs of Wasatch Front, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Take care. You too. And Shonda Wenger, educator in Cache Valley, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. It was great. And uh, we'll uh, go out as we do on Wednesdays with the Beehive Archive. It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Weiss. The outdoor recreation industry in Utah is worth billions of dollars. But getting out into nature for simple pleasure and paying someone to guide you is a relatively modern concept. This week, Learn about a river trip taken in 1909 that forecast the growth of Utah's river recreation economy. First, this. I'm Jody Graham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. In September 1909, Julia Stone, a financier from Ohio, hired Utah adventurer Nathaniel Galloway to take him on a boat trip down the Green and Colorado Rivers. This is a time when navigating the steep and isolated canyons of western rivers was an arduous necessity for scientists and geographers. But Stone and Galloway's river trip was the first taken for the simple pleasure of boating and signaled an emerging interest in the idea of experiencing remote landscapes just for fun. Inspired by the journeys taken by John Leslie Powell down these same rivers, Stone was passionate about the rugged outdoors. Galway was a prospector and trapper from Vernal, Utah, known for his experience on the Yampa and Green Rivers. Galway guided the trip and Stone funded it, including the construction of boats built to Galway's new design. These flat-bottomed boats were road-facing forward, so the oarsmen had better control of the vessel and could see and maneuver through potential obstacles. Previous boat designs had oarsmen rowing with their backs downstream, resulting in frequent flips. Galway, Stone, and a small group of men set off in four boats from Green River, Wyoming. Although the trip was taken for leisure, it was not without trials. The men were relatively inexperienced and had to portage their boats and cargo around unmanageable rapids. Only Galway effectively navigated the rushing waters, rowing into the current rather than trying to overpower it. Still, the men were awestruck by their impressive surroundings and devoted themselves to enjoying the beauty and magnificence of the river. Cutting through canyons, catching fish, and exploring remote scenery left a lasting impression on the group. The Galway Stone expedition ended five weeks later in Needles, California, The pleasure trip foreshadowed the popularity that river running would enjoy in the 20th century, 
and the impact it would have on Utah's economy. Tourists with money paid to appreciate the natural beauty of rivers. By the late 1920s, commercially operated tours were operating out of Vernal, and Galway's boat design was the preferred choice for river guides well into the 1950s. Find sources and past episodes of the Beehive Archive at utahumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of Utah Humanities, I'm Megan Weiss. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and the USU Lyric Repertory Company, presenting the Thanksgiving play. Four writers work to create a politically correct Thanksgiving play that is historically accurate, avoids all stereotypes, and doesn't offend anyone. Now through July 17th. Details at lyricrep.org. And Idaho National Laboratory. Digital engineering is offering hope for accelerated deployment of advanced nuclear reactors and an unmatched level of monitoring, control, and security. More information is available at dice.inl.gov. I'm Jasmine Mesa, one of the bilingual reporters at Utah Public Radio. This year we have been working on increasing the diversity of voices you hear on UPR, and that is where I come in. I produce news stories in Spanish each week, and right now I've been reporting a lot of COVID-19. But as things continue to open up, I will be reporting on community events and other resources. Tune in on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. to listen to my stories in Spanish and visit upr.org to read them in English. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide member-supported service of Utah State University, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.